The Torah says with regards to Shemitah produce that it will be lachem la'ochla for you to eat. And as we have seen, that teaches us that one is not allowed to do business with Shemitah produce. It's got to be eaten. And you can't do anything else with it, so you cannot do business with it. However, that does not mean that you're never allowed to buy or sell Shemitah produce. You are allowed to do so if you don't do it in a business-like way. And this mission will develop on this idea. And we're first going to discuss a Bechur, a firstborn animal. And as we saw in the previous Mishnah, if a firstborn animal does not have a wound or an injury, a mum on it, then it goes to a coin and the coin has to bring it up on the Mizbeach. However, if it does have a mum on it, well, an animal with a mum cannot be offered up on the Mizbeach, so the coin can keep it. Now, if the coin wants to, he can sell it on to a non coin and a non coin is allowed to eat it. However, it belongs to the coin and he can decide what to do with it. So the Mishnah says, Lokach Bukhur le If somebody buys a firstborn animal from a Kohen and he buys it for the sake of his son's feast. Let's say he's making a feast for his son's wedding and he buys this firstborn animal to use as meat. Or he bought it for a Yomtev, to have meat on Yomtev, but in the end he didn't actually need it, he had enough meat and now he's got this firstborn animal left over. So even though we learned in the previous Mishnah that you're not allowed to do business with a Bukhur animal, because you might come to work that animal or to shear the animal, which is forbidden. Nevertheless, says the Mishnah, if you're not doing it in a business-like way, you never bought it with the mind to sell it. You were going to eat it, but now you've got it left over, so you're allowed to sell it. And that's what the Mishnah says, you're allowed to sell it. And the second half of the Mishnah brings a three-way machlikes with regards to those who capture wild animals and birds and fish. Somebody who captures animals as a living. Now, if that's what you're doing all day, although, of course, you only want kosher animals, because as we learned in the previous mission, you're not allowed to do business with non-kosher animals, and, of course, you can't eat them, so hunting non-kosher animals is not very useful for you. However, if you're doing it all day, you're inevitably going to catch some non-kosher animals, and that's exactly what happens in our Mishnah, that certain non-kosher species came to their hands, by chance they captured these as well, says the Mishnah, you are allowed to sell them. Why? Because you're not really doing business with them. Your main aim is to capture kosher animals. This one happened to come to you, but you didn't capture it with the mind that I'm going to capture this non-kosher animal and then sell it on and make money. So because you're not doing it in that way, you are allowed to sell them. However, Behuda says, Even somebody who a non-kosher animal comes to his hands while he's walking, let's say. So this is referring to somebody who does not capture animals, but a random person finds a non-kosher animal. A country can take it and sell it on. As long as it's not his job and he doesn't start looking for these animals. Rather, he's got another job, but he happened to find this, so he can sell this on. So Rabbi Huda is being more lenient, and he says that even somebody who is not who does not do this as a job, even he is allowed to sell this on. And now we've got a third opinion. The Chachom forbid this person to sell it on, and they only allow somebody who does it as a job to sell it on. And the reason for the Chachomim, the Yerushalmi explains, is because in those days, somebody whose job it was to capture animals, the government forced them to pay quite a high tax. From all the money they made from selling these animals, which they hunted and trapped, they had to pay a high tax to the government. And this wasn't really so fair, and they couldn't make a lot of money because of this, and because of that, the Chachom were lenient on them, and they permitted them to sell even non-kosher animals which they capture, and then use that money to pay part of the tax. Now, of course, if somebody's job is not to capture animals, then this leniency does not apply, and therefore the Chachon is saying that if it's not their job, then of course they cannot sell it, because they're not allowed to do business with non-kosher food. 
Now, I mentioned before that this is a three-way machlekes, but if you think about it, the opinion of the Tanakama and the opinion of the Chachomem seem exactly the same. They both hold that only somebody whose job it is to catch animals can sell them on, can sell the non-kosher ones. Whereas if it's not your job, then you can't. So what's the difference between the Tanakama and the Chachomem? So the Tosis Yomtov answers that according to the Chachomim, somebody whose job it is to hunt these animals is even allowed to look for non-kosher animals and to hunt them and to sell them in order to pay the tax. So they're much more lenient than Tanakama than Tanakama holds that if you happen to capture one by mistake, so then you can sell it on and use that money. But according to the Chachomim, because the tax was so high, you're even allowed to look for non-kosher animals in order to sell them and get money to pay for this tax to the government. Mishnahe, the next couple of Mishnahis are going to go through a number of different types of species and basically say whether Shemitah applies to them or not, and also whether beer applies to them or not. And let's just remind ourselves, beer is the point during Shemitah where that type of produce has finished from the fields, there's none left in the fields for the animals to eat, and at that point the obligation of beer sets in where one has to remove his produce from his house, that type of produce which is finished. So let's see the Mishnah. Lulve Zerodim Vehechaluvin. Shoots of a Zerodim tree and shoots of a carob tree. Yeishlam Shavirs with the name Shavirs. Shmita does apply to them and Shmita applies to their money, which means that if you buy that produce, then the money used to buy it also gains Shmita sanctity. The point of the Mishnah is to tell us that these things are edible, and because of that, they uh, Shmita applies to them. And as well as that, Yeishlam Beer with the name Beer. Beer does apply to them and to the money used to buy them. The point being that the shoots don't, cannot stay in the ground for a long time. They will disintegrate, they will decompose, and therefore there will come a point where there are none left in the field, and therefore beer would apply to them. On the other hand, Lulveho Ela, shoots of a Ela, this is probably some sort of oak tree. The Habotmo, this is translated as a pistachio tree, Vaha Todin, and some sort of thorn bush. When it comes to these things, Yeshlem Shavirs with the name Shavirs, the laws of Shmita, the sanctity of Shmita produce, does apply to them and to money which is used to buy them. But Einlohem Beer, Velolidnehem Beer, Beer does not apply to them. And the reason for that is because these things would not decompose and disintegrate into the ground in the winter. And therefore, there will always be some left in the fields for the animals, so the time of beer never comes. So Beer does not apply to them. However, ends off the Mishnah, Avole Olin. But for the leaves of these last three trees, or bushes, the Eilah, the Botna, and the Atodin, when it comes to the leaves, not the shoots, but the leaves, Yeshbir, Bir would apply to them, it may Ocean because they fall off and come off from their father plant. They come off the main body of the plant and they do decompose. So there does come a stage where there are no more leaves of these produces left, and therefore Bir would apply to the leaves, and you would need to remove the leaves from your house at the time of Bir. Mishnah the list continues, but before we see the continuation of the list, it's important to remember what exactly gives something the sanctity of Shmita produce. So we learned at the beginning of the Perek that the Torah says that Shmita produce is lochem la'ochla, it's for you to eat. And we learn from there that anything which is consumed in a similar way to eating, that gains the kudusha, the sanctity of Shmita produce. Now what is that way? So that way is that the benefit and the pleasure which is gained from consuming it occurs in the same action as it is used up. So when you eat it, you're gaining the pleasure as you eat it up, as you destroy that food. The same applies to plants which are used for dyeing. The plants are boiled up and destroyed as they dye the fabric or the cloth. So it must be that all the things that we're listing here are either edible or they're consumed in that similar way. So says the Mishnah, how vered, 
A rose var kaifer. This is a certain plant with very fragrant and smelly flowers. Vaktof. This is the liquid which oozes out of the trunk or the branches of a tree and also has a strong smell. It was often used in perfumes. Vahaloitem. This is another very flowery plant. And when it comes to these four plants, Yeshlem Shavias, Vilidnem Shavias, they do have the sanctity and the kadusha of Peyos Shavias, and also the money used to buy them would also gain that sanctity. However, Rabbi Shimon argues on one of them, and Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon says, Ein la katof shavies, the katof, which is the liquid which comes out of the branches and the trunk, that does not have the kadusha of Peyos Shavias. The reason being, because it is not considered a fruit. Rather, because it comes out of the branches directly, and out of the trunk directly, it's considered like those. So it's got the status of the wood. And wood does not have the sanctity of Shmita produce. Why? Because what's the use of wood? The main use of wood, at least in those days, was to use as firewood to burn things. Now the benefit gained from the wood is only once the wood is totally burned and it's turned into coal. But while it's still wood, there's no benefit. You can't cook on that until it is properly burnt and it is turned into coal. And therefore, the benefit which you gain from the wood does not come at the same time as you use up the wood. Because it's only once it's no longer wood that you can use it for the firewood. That you can use it to cook things or to warm you up. And therefore, since this thing comes out of the trunk and the branches which are wood, this too does not have the sanctity of Peyre's Shavias. Mr. Zion, Allah is that if a solid food gets mixed into a liquid, and usually a long time is considered over 24 hours, then we assume that the food and the liquid have both given each other tastes of, it, of itself. This is known as nascent tam. The solid food has, been, has given part of its taste to the liquid, so the liquid has a bit of the taste of the solid food, and the same goes the other way around. So because of this, if one of those things would be forbidden food, then they would now both become forbidden. So says the Mishnah, Vered Chodosh, a new rose, and this means that the rose is a shmita, it's a shmita rose, it grew during Shmita, which was preserved in old oil, meaning that the oil is from olives which grew in the sixth year. So in this case, you've got a solid, which is Schmitter produce, and it's inside a liquid, which is not Schmitter produce. However, the case here is where the time of beer has not yet come. And therefore, you're still allowed to eat even the Schmitter produce. So, of course, there's no problem here, because both the solid and the liquid are permitted. So, you're like it's Averid, he should just collect the rose, he should pick it up out of the oil, and the oil will still be permitted, because even if it has got the taste of the rose, the beer time has not yet come, and therefore it's permitted. However, if it's an old rose, and now we're referring to a rose which also it was during Shmita, it was a Shmita rose, but this time it's called an old rose, because the oil was from later on. So relative to the oil, it's old, because the oil is new, meaning that the oil came from olives which grew in the eighth year. And now we're discussing a situation where it's after the beer, which means that the rose is forbidden to consume and needs to be removed from the house. And since it's given part of its taste to the liquid, to the oil, even the oil, chayba beer, is obligated in beer. So you'd have to remove that from the house as well. Now we're going to see a very similar case, but here, in both sides of the case, we're talking about when it's past the beer stage. So, chorivim chadoshim, new carobs, meaning carobs which grew during shmita, shekavoshim b'yayin yoshon, which were pickled and preserved in old wine. The wine was wine from the sixth year. 
But even so, we're discussing a stage after the beer of the Shmitoyeh, which means that the carbs are forbidden, and the same would apply in the next case for Yeshon B'chadosh, if there are old carbs and new carbs, meaning if there are carbs of Shmitah, which are inside wine of the eighth year, in both of these cases, Chayon Babir, even the wine, which is not Shmitah wine, even that becomes obligated in beer, and therefore needs to be removed from the house and destroyed, just like the carbs which are put in it. And the Mishnah sums up, Zehaklov, this is the rule, anything which gives off taste, which is mixed in a liquid, so you're obligated in beer on the entire mixture, even the liquid, which isn't Shmita produce, if the two things which were mixed were not the same thing. So like in the examples we gave, if a solid was mixed with a liquid, or even if a solid was mixed with another solid, or a liquid with another liquid, so in that case, if it's been left in there for over a day's time, you'd need to do beer with the entire mixture. But now the Mishnah adds something, which we haven't seen yet in the Mishnah, and that is, if something gets mixed up with something else of the same kind, so for example, if Shmita oil gets mixed with non-Shmita oil, so in that case, as soon as they're mixed, they're mixed. It's not a question of giving off taste, it's the same thing. So it's all considered one mixture with Shmita produce inside. And therefore, Kol Shehu, any amount of Shmita oil, which is mixed with other oil, even if there's not enough to give off a taste, had it been different liquids or different solids, and even if it's not left in there for a long time, as soon as it's there, it's there forever. Because it's part of the entire mixture, and therefore Kol Shehu, any amount, the entire mixture will become obligated in beer, even if there's only a tiny amount of Shmita oil in that mixture. And now the Mishnah says this in another word, in other words, Shavir says Kol Shehu Shmita produce, forbids with any amount if it's mixed with the same type of thing, but if it's mixed with something which is not the same type, for example, carobs in oil, or a rose in oil, then only if there's enough to give off a taste, only then would the thing that it's mixed inside gain the Kedusha of and be obligated in beer. And just by the way, the amount which gives off a taste is usually assumed to be 1 60th. So in the carobs example, if 1 60th of the oil was the amount of carobs inside the mixture, then it gives off taste and it would be forbidden as we explained earlier on.